seems as though, at least, that the church in America has largely failed to address the pressing issue in our culture of sexual abuse and sexual harassment. The Me Too movement, which was born out of that experience when Harvey Weinstein, the movie mogul, was brought into the light and women needed to have a voice, has now spread into the church, what some call the Church Two movement. The church has had problems. And I'm talking about just the Catholic church. We, we've heard about that. But in Protestant churches in America, for a long time, those who had been abused have been told to be quiet. You don't want to hurt the work of God. You don't want to impugn the integrity of godly men. So they've been pushed to the sides and asked to be silent. But thankfully, it appears that the tide is changing. Recently, some mega pastors have kind of been exposed and they've been They've had to resign. Seminary presidents have been resigning. The church seems to be getting a clue because the church needs to lead the way in gender roles, especially in a culture that is even losing its gender identity. So the reason I bring this to your attention, it's it's because it's in front of this backdrop that we come to this place in Colossians where we deal with gender roles. And what we're going to discover is that The culture that Paul is writing out of is very similar to our culture. But we'll see that the truth that he gives is a timeless truth for all of us. And it's meant to help us to thrive. It's meant to help our marriages to thrive. It's meant to have us model and reflect the deep love that Jesus, the groom, has for his bride, the church. And so what I want for you this morning is to get a clear indication of how do I live out my role in my gender in this Me Too era. And it can be done, and when we do it, we will glorify Christ. So take your Bibles, if you would, and let's open to the book of Colossians, chapter 3, beginning in verse 18. If you want to grab that Bible that's in the seat in front of you, you can turn to page 984. You can also just grab your Ridgewood app, download it, push the media button, and just play it through to the study guide on this date, and you can just track along with me. And for those of you watching on live stream, we want you to we want to say hello to you as well and take your Bibles and follow along with us. So in this section of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, and we're almost finished now, which which makes me kind of heavy-hearted in a way, because this has been such an amazing journey. Here he's saying, I'm going to tell you how you can maintain proper personal relationships in light of the new self that you've put on because you're a Jesus follower. And remember, we talked about this. We talked about the old self that we are discard to discard and put away, all those sins that will kill us in the end, and then we put on new clothing. We put on... The love of Christ, humility, gentleness, obedience, all of those things. And now we're going to learn how to live that out in personal relationships. So today it's husband and wives. Next week it's children and parents. And then it will be slaves and masters. So you can go to work tomorrow and say, hey, we're going to talk about you next week. You're going to be master. I'm your slave. Don't do that. But you get the picture, right? Today we're in the home. And so this 
if you're not married, I want you to know applies to you as well, because these general principles will help you to go into culture and be a reflection of Christ. So here's the text. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. That's super simple and super easy, right? We could all just go to coffee. No, it's not. And talking to people between services was amazing because... People came up to me and just started sharing stories about how they've dealt with this truth in their own lives. And it's very complicated because it brings in so many emotions and hurts and woundedness and preconceived ideas. But the truth is the truth. And the word that causes people to have this visceral reaction is submit. And that's what causes people to cringe because... We've learned what we think it means, but we don't really know what it means until we discover what the Bible says it means. And so we'll get to that. So, culture. Forces of culture in Paul's day were very similar to the forces of culture in our day. Women were second-class citizens. And what is it in our country? Women are making about 23% less than men or something like that. It was worse in Paul's day They couldn't be involved with politics. They couldn't vote. They couldn't hold a political office. They couldn't run their own homes. They could own things like property, but they weren't allowed to manage it because they weren't thought of as being smart enough to be able to manage property. So you had this very oppressive culture that Paul was writing out of. And it's really interesting. What's happening in our day is very very eerily similar to, to where this was. And so that's a reason for us to pay attention. But, on the other hand, it's also caused people to look at this text and say, no, this is not a timeless truth. This is just for that culture. Paul is saying submit because that's what the culture said to do. But, No, we're going to learn that that's not true either because we're going to learn that our roles are about reflecting Christ's love for the church. Our roles are timeless. They they do not vary because of culture. How we handle them and how we live them out certainly should because we need to be attentive to what's going on around us. But we'll see that these are timeless truths because they mirror Jesus and the church. So, Let's talk about the home and let's start with the role of a wife. And that term submission needs to be defined. Super important that we understand what this means. This is the phrase, wives, submit to your husbands. It has caused women to bristle at the very thought of that. I've had women when I do weddings. And you know, in the old vows, they have the word obey in there. And the first thing they do is they send me back their copy, and it's like a big, giant red X across that word. (laughs) But, again, it's, it's that preconceived idea of what this means. Men have used it as a weapon. They've been authoritarian. They've, they've, 
They've run their homes like dictators and they've used this to, to pound their wives into submission. It's not the intent. That's sinful. It's ungodly. So here's the word in the Greek for submit is hupotasso. And it means to place or rank under. It means to willingly subject oneself to another's leadership. It's also a term that's used in regard to the military. It means to arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under a commander. It's used often in the New Testament. In Luke 2.51, it's used to refer to Jesus' subjection to his parents. In Luke 10.17 and 20, to describe demons being subject to the disciples. In Romans 8.7, Paul uses the word to describe submission to government authorities that God has instituted. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 27 and 28, and in Ephesians 1, the verb looks to the time when all things will be in subjection to Christ when he comes in his glory. So there's really no question what the word means. It more comes to how do we act it out? What does it mean to our everyday lives? And thankfully, there are boundaries that help a woman to understand how to work through this. There are boundaries to submission or of submission that protect a wife. It's not a blanket statement that would allow someone to hurt you or to use you. That person would be in deep sin. And so what are these boundaries? Because God is not calling here for doormats. He's not calling for for drones that have no personality or opinions. I mean, if men ruled the world, it would be ugly. Well, the world would literally be ugly. Our homes would be like one room with a television set with a big satellite dish on it, and we'd be eating bacon from 8 o'clock in the morning until midnight. It would not be good. But, you see, God has allowed women to help us thrive And it's our role to help them blossom and help them to thrive. And here are some of the boundaries of submission. Firstly, in this context, a wife submits only to her husband. Only to her husband. Because remember, we're we're in the home in this context. So forget about church leadership and all that kind of thing right now. We're not dealing with that. That's over here. Paul's in the home. These are personal relationships. And so... If, if you have a brother-in-law that's saying, you have to take care of my children, you don't have to submit to that. That's not your husband. Or if you have a neighbor that wants to dominate the vacation, no. You are to submit to your husband. This is the man that you've entrusted yourself to. This is the man who you have a deep personal relationship with. You are submissive exclusively to your husband. Secondly, this is really important. Submission does not imply lesser. Submission does not imply lesser. This is the rub, isn't it, right here? Because in our culture, when we think of submissive, we think of there's somebody who has the power and there's somebody who doesn't. 
There's somebody who's more important. There's somebody less important. That's not at all what we're getting at here. Jesus is our example for this, and he, he submitted to his father. He, he said to his father, your will be done. And he's in no way in, inferior. He's fully God, fully God in essence with his father. Yet he submitted. Galatians 5.28 affirms that there is no exclusivity before God between male and female. Each is fully loved by God. Each is fully made in his image. Each has worth. It's just the roles that we're talking about. So submission does not mean lesser. And this is also really important that you understand that submission is ultimately to the Lord. You might think that your husband is the problem or the one that you need to always be honoring. No, your submission ultimately is to God, just like all of ours. You know, everything we do, we're going to talk about men in a moment. That's all in submission to God as well. So here's the wording. Submission should be as is fitting in the Lord, Paul says. So ladies, if your husband introduces something into your life that violates your conscience, and you know is unbiblical, you are not under any obligation to submit to that. If pornography is, is, is introduced into your home, you are not under any obligation to watch that. If there are sexually abusive practices going on in your home, you are under no obligation to, to enter into that behavior. If your husband says something like, hey, yeah, we can cheat a little bit in our taxes, you're on, under no obligation. I can't tell you how many women have sat in my office and they've looked at me and they said, I can't believe what I let my husband do to me because I thought I was being a submissive wife. God is not calling you to violate your conscience. But then the question becomes, what exactly does submission look like? How do I walk through this? Because that word is so strange and, and, and for some it's new. Well, here are some ideas for you. First, you can walk alongside, help your husband lead by praying fervently for him. Praying for him instead of trying to fix him. You are not the Holy Spirit, but you can pray like crazy. And you can tell him you're praying for him. What do you, what's, on, what's going on at work today? I'll pray about that. What are you thinking about for this weekend, for the family? Well, I'll pray, I'll pray about that. Whatever. Pray, pray, and pray. Secondly, you can confront him with respect. You don't, again, no one's saying you don't have a voice or an opinion. And frankly, guys, if you're not listening to your wife, you're really foolish because she's smarter than you are. She has a better radar than you, you do. And so you need to be listening. She's there to be your helper. Even when it comes to directions, you need to listen to her. Okay? It's funny how that still works even in the day of GPS. It must still go on somehow. Following, submitting means showing respect, both when he's in the room and when he's not in the room. You talk about your husband with words of love and respect. Now, if you're 
If you're talking to a friend, you're confiding in a friend, you've got really issues that you need to deal with, that's different. I'm talking about general chatter. Honor your husband. There is a book that I put in the study guide in the app called Love and Respect. This is one that I would say you really need to read Love and Respect or watch the video series. It's off the charts. It's biblical. And it will help you. And remember, again, you're submitting to Christ. So on those days when you're thinking, I cannot follow this guy. He's making no sense. He's not being logical. He seems angry. Stop and pray and remember that Christ is watching over you. And that you're submitting on to Christ. So, it's a hard role. And we're going to talk about what to do in these hard roles in a moment. But Paul's advocating biblical submission under the umbrella of a loving husband. And that should be a beautiful flow. Unfortunately, sin has messed this all up. And that's why we have to dig into this. Let's go to the husband now. What is the role of the husband? And of course, to understand that, love becomes the important word. So, what does it mean for a husband to love his wife Properly. Look at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. This Greek word for love is agapao and it expresses a willing love, a committed love. It's not the word for a love that comes just out of passion. It is a covenant love, a choice to love. And in the present tense imperative, it would mean that it's continuous. Keep on loving. So it's, I only love my wife if she's paying attention to me. I only love my wife if she's being kind to me. I only love my wife if she's thanking me. No, you keep on loving your wife. A parallel passage in Ephesians 5 is really powerful and it really has a close approximation to what Paul is teaching here. And we understand this more from Ephesians 5, 25 through 28. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. That top line should be enough to stop you in your tracks. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Continuous love. Continuous action. We are the church. We are the bride. Our groom is Jesus Christ. He laid down His life. He atoned for our sin. Do you think that we're in any kind of shape to claim that we're, that we're a good bride? No, the church in America is messed up because it's full of people like us. We're all wrecked by sin. It's a mess. Jesus still loves the church, so we don't have any right in our marriage relationships or any relationship to say, I'm going to stop doing this because that person is or is doing or thinks, because Jesus has an endless love for us. 
So guys, when we lead out, we are simply following our Lord Jesus Christ who has already laid down His life for the church. And that's what biblical love looks like. It looks like death to self. So don't watch Dr. Phil. He's getting divorced anyway, I think. Didn't really work well. But that, that's going to teach you nice principles to, to, to make you fulfilled. We're called to die. You think, well, what kind of life is that? That's not fundamentally fulfilling. It will be in eternity. And by the way, it is now, too, if we, if we fall in, in line with what Jesus wants us to do. And the thing about biblical love that's so obvious here is the gentleness that's required. Because it's not harsh. It's not harsh. And we see that here in this, this idea of not being harsh. Husbands are not to be embittered against their wives. The Greek word here would exhort a husband to stop being bitter. Do not have the habit of being bitter. And it's only other usage in the New Testament. It's used in Revelation for things that taste bitter. So we don't have a right to walk around the house scowling, carrying malice around in our hearts for our wives, and causing her to be the front line of our anger. That's what garbage cans and baseball bats are for. You can get a new garbage can. A man came up to me after service. He just looked at me and he said, Man, it's true, isn't it? You can't love your wife well unless you love yourself. I go, that's super wise. If you're walking around with all of this deficit in who you are, your wife's going to take the brunt of that. We don't have the biblical right to do that. So what, is it, what, what does it look like? Here's what I would say. And, I, and before I give you this little list, I'm going to say that I violate every one of them. And I, I will say that I'm on my knees in repentance a lot about everything on this list. So I'm with you in the battle. And I think we're going to be in this battle to the day we're with Christ. But I also believe in the trans, transformative power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that Christ in us can make us a new person. So I'm trusting that as I pray through these things. First, speak to her kindly. Not like you speak to people at work. Speak to her kindly. Um, let your words be something that fills her, encourages her, that helps her to blossom. A friend of mine who likes to put his, his, his finger right on the problem said, put it this way, Paul. He said, when, 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 you're at, when people are at your wife's funeral, I go, like, this is really dark. He goes, let's just hold on. He goes, when they're filing by her casket, are they going to be able to say, oh, yeah, her husband gave her great joy? Or are they going to say, no, no, her husband was really difficult for her? Which one do you want? He said. That stuck with me because this is hard. Speak to her kindly. Secondly, make serving her your number one thing. If you look at my prayer list, it's on there. It says, make serving Wendy my number one thing. Why is it on there? It's because I don't do it very well. And I keep saying, God, please help me to serve Wendy as my number one thing. Thirdly, you know, tell her she's pretty. And we don't care what we look like, you know. 
Well, some of us don't. You know, it's too late for that. Come out of the shower and just go to work and you take whatever clothes there seem to be clean and away you go. That's not how women think. Tell her she's pretty. That'll mean a lot to her. And here's an important one. Honor her with your mind and your eyes. Keep your mind and your eyes on her and her only. Nothing will discourage her, cause her to to despair, cause her to doubt, cause her to think ill of herself more than if you're staring at other women or if you're dealing with pornography. Keep your eyes on your wife. And then watch what happens. Because we're wired to lead, but we're not wired to control. We're wired to lead out, and then what does a good leader do? A good leader makes sure that he's lock and step with the people he's leading and making sure they're doing okay and making sure they're... That's what we need to do as leaders. So it's not... Not easy, but we can do this. And and guys, if you took this outside of the home, just think what what a amazing effect we could have on our culture right now if we treated women with respect like this in the workplace. We could have a profound effect on just respecting women because they're vulnerable right now. And again, who's our model? Christ. So... In this passage, a wife is to submit to a loving husband who is to lead her well, as Christ died for the church. So now we're going to go back to culture for a minute. Because, as I said, a complaint by liberal theologians would be, this isn't effectual anymore because Paul was simply writing out of his culture. Times have changed. It was 2,000 years ago. So this command no longer holds any weight. I want to deal with that because it would be easy for us just to write this off. But I want to tell you right now that this is a timeless command. It, it intersects with cultures. It will continue to reign over cultures. Cultures come and go. The Word of God doesn't. And when you just simply go to the idea of Christ in the church, that should be enough to convince us that it's not a temporal command. But Paul also, in, in his letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2.13, he highlights the order of creation. Man was created first, and then a woman. Secondly, in order in the Godhead. Paul talks about that as a reflection of Christ in the church. So this is not a cultural argument. So we can't dismiss it. We can't say, oh, those bad people back then. As if our culture is any better. Look at this verse here. 1 Corinthians 11.3 But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And we could insert Father in there if you're confused about Christ and God because Christ is, of course, God. But that's pretty plain. English. And so I, I, to do this talk, I went and I just read a whole bunch of liberal stuff. And I don't mean to impugn them because they're super smart and, and a lot of them love Jesus. So, But liberal theology is just a term to use for that side of the fence, I guess. And I, and I tried really hard to understand what their arguments were. And frankly, when it came to verses like this, you have to do a lot of scriptural gymnastics 
to try to dismiss these verses. And I wasn't convinced. And it's a timeless truth. Now, Sam Storms is a really good theologian, and he's in touch with our culture. And here's what he says. Obeying any biblical command, whether it be a wife's submission to her husband or a husband's love for his wife, is an appropriate, indeed a beautiful thing. It is fitting or proper, not because it confronts or conforms to the culture of that day, but because that is what God has ordained for our marital relations. In the final analysis, it is the Lord Jesus himself who determines what is and is not fitting or proper for his people. And I agree with that. Because if we submerse ourselves in culture, immerse ourselves in culture, and we throw this away, then we are done for. So how do we know then that, that we can do this? I'm going to just give you a few practical tips. Steps toward joy in the Me Too era. Because I know how hard this is because I have to live this out as well. And because we are under the microscope right now, this is even more important than ever. So first, the first step is, and we just talked about it, you've got to accept this command as truth. Because if you don't accept it as truth, then you're not going to do anything with it. I, I'm shocked. Literally, I don't use that term that often, although I am shocked at times. But I'm shocked at how people come in, come in and talk to me, and I'll, I'll look right at them, and I'll read a verse, and they'll say, I don't agree with that. What do you do with that? What they're really saying is, we're going to have our way, and if the Bible catches up to culture, that's fine. That's not the way it works. You've got to accept this as truth because God wrote this through his guys, through the Holy Spirit, and God is above culture. God is better than culture. God is holier than culture. God is more wise than culture. God is over all cultures. He, they come and go. He's forever. This is not something to take lightly. In 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, we see this process, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So every word we read here is true. So we need to grapple with it. Secondly, to find joy in the Me Too era, you've got to get outside of yourself and you've got to trust God. To do either of these roles... You have to learn to rely on God. The basic premise of submit in love is that we are stepping out and we're saying we want to be like Christ. We want to die to ourselves. And the only way we can die to ourselves is to allow Christ to come in and help us to crucify ourselves. Now, that's not a very good cultural message. Don't walk up to somebody at you know, Arby's and say it's time for you to crucify yourself. That probably wouldn't work. But what I'm saying to you is that this is so hard that the only way you're going to be able to do it is through the power of Christ. And remember who you have in you. You have the creator of the world. You have the one who holds the universe in his hand. Colossians says it would fall apart if it weren't for the power of Christ. And 
He's living in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you can do this. I would say that marriage is the best way for me to understand how selfish I am. And what a dope I can be. And it's that refinement process that God is using to make me more like Christ. Wendy gets to be the refiner. Christ is really refining, but through her. And it's a beautiful thing when we watch God do it. So get outside of yourself and trust in the power of Christ. But in order to do that, you have to walk with Jesus. You have to walk in the power of Christ. And whether you're at home or you're at work or wherever you are, you've got to attach yourself to Christ. If you want to live like Jesus, you have to know Jesus. You have to know the one that gave himself for you. You have to know how he sees you, how he sees your spouse, how he sees the world. And the only way to do that is through prayer, through reading the word, through being with other believers. Because in John, we see very clearly that without him, we've got nothing. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So how attached are you to Jesus? Is he a once a week deal? Is he a, a when it's convenient kind of proposition? Or is he your Lord and Savior that you walk with every day? Because if you're doing that, then you will achieve the mind of God. And God will transform you. And that's the only way you're going to be able to do this. And then I would say the last thing in order to find joy in all of this is extend plenty of grace. I'm always amazed at my ability to judge others and forget what I've been forgiven of. So if your spouse is, is moving but struggling to find that role, then offer grace. You know, guys, Three guys at least came up to me in between servers and says, man, this that's really hard to lead. Yeah, it is hard. But why is it so hard? Is it because you think that your wife's the problem or are you the problem? If you think it's your wife, then you need to just get real and extend grace. And, and, and ladies, if, you're white, if your husband's stumbling around, give him grace because we're all wrecked by sin. We're broken by sin. This is the garden that we're going to be in someday, but right now the systems are all broken. Sin has certainly wrecked us. It's, it's, it's put a stain on the church, all of this sexual abuse and the Me Too thing, and how, how sad and heartbreaking it is that the Church Too movement had to even begin in the first place. But we can be people that show Christ by getting into our lane, living out our role, through the power of Christ, so that he is the one that's glorified. So what I want you to do is just take a moment in silent prayer. And I want you to ask God, what is in this for me, Lord? What do you have for me today? What do I need to learn? And then I'll close in prayer.